first and foremost, before I answer any of the questions, I just want to say thank you to others and whether it was students or student athletes, you know, you really kind of only get the username from YouTube and email. So greatly appreciate um, people watching my videos and, and maybe learning something from them. And this is kind of how I get the topics to, to discuss and talk about. Thank you for the questions. Uh, I do my best to answer all these questions and, and you know, anything you have any interest in. If there's anything you're ever wondering about or, or something you would like me to speak on or answer or, or get my opinion on, you know, please continue to submit these questions. This is kind of how we get the topics and these are kind of the things that, you know, I like to discuss and get out there for parents and coaches and students and student athletes just so, you know, they kind of know more about, you know, the company, my story and, and you know, again, don't go down that dark road before they could get off it. Um, you know, all these topics are information just like, you know, for parents last week we did, you know, the top 10 ways to support your child. I mean, these are all things in here that are important in what's going on right now. So thank you again for the submitting. Thank you for watching. Um, Thank you for investing your time, you know, into what I have to say, and please continue to submit questions for us that I could, um, you know, I could answer on. I have a three-part question um, from Aaron. He said, you often mention that you can relate to your clients. What if you cannot relate to them? Okay, so when I talk about relatability, um, really it's about buy-in. So if I can relate to somebody and what they're going through and doing, they buy into me because they feel comfortable and I've been going through the same things or doing these same things. Um, so it's not really as much about me relating and my relation and, and things I could relate to the student athlete with that leads to the helping. Um, it's more that I can relate and since I can relate, they buy in. Uh, instead of going to like a doctor or, or somebody else that they sit across the room and, and there's no relatability, they don't really get comfortable, they don't feel like they're buying in. So when I talk about relation, it's not so much as um, the skills and just because I could relate to the student athlete uh, means that that automatically makes me successful. It's not. It's, it's, it's the buy-in, uh, my relatability with buy-in, and then me using the skills to go for, further to assist in that, in that problem. So. Um, it, the relatability is not is not a I guess it would be a skill set, but it's not an attribute to how you know we get things better, um, get get a client to their peak performance or help them with the issue they're going through. It's more of a comfortability factor, an automatic trust factor, um, and lead, lets the patient be comfortable. Um, and then so in turn, the part two would have been you know can I still help them? Well, of course I could still help them. Um, not only do the things that I relate to, which make them feel comfortable, buy in, but then all the other things that I've dealt with that. I, you know, whether I can't relate to, I've gathered skills in, um, you know, such as uh, student athletes with uh, several children um, having to pay rent and working um, to get money instead of playing sport or going to school, uh, academics, uh, all those things like that, that whether even if I wasn't to relate to them or, or anything really, if, you know, a, a sibling gets, you know, murdered or, you know, things like that were all things that went on, you know, when I was doing my graduate work, just because I can't relate to them, those are skills now that I've also grasped, which make me have relatability also. So the question, the answer would be yes, um, but I don't want uh, anybody to think that the only reason that I'm successful is for relatability. Relatability um, brings comfortability and brings a buy-in process. They trust you because they feel that you can relate uh, and you have the skills to assist, not that just because I can relate is instant gratification and instant success. Okay, and the next questions would be, would you still accept them and do you have the tools necessary to assist them? 
Yeah, so of course I would still set them. Um, you know, as many of my student athletes know and people that are part of the program, I always offer a free consultation, it's something I mentioned in the other video, one to two hours before I take on any clients. Uh, there's a couple of reasons I do that. One, I've definitely denied uh, clients. If I don't feel like there's a buy-in or, or there'll be a trust level or the student athlete is really seeking the guidance or help, uh, even though that they're being sent to me or came to me themselves, um, I just won't accept the client. It's wasting my time. It's wasting their money or the or, or you know the guardian's money, uh, and that's just not useful for anybody because my time is valuable just as just as the money is valuable for you know a parent or a guardian uh, that's putting in hard work to earn it. So you know I've denied clients. Um, I also have that free consultation to make sure that you know we kind of see it the same way. Most professionals that are in this field also have to see a therapist by law or choose to just so they don't bring things home with them. I went through four or five people before I found somebody I was comfortable with and that's nothing against the other four people it's just that you know when I finally met somebody I felt comfortable just getting you know sessions with my my clients off my chest uh, it felt better to discuss it with somebody who felt more like a friend that's another reason so I want to make sure you know he, he you know he or she is comfortable working with me um, so I you know I'd obviously still accept them but you know complete honestly I have denied patients and I have said you know uh, I will if I don't feel like a, a coaching contract over extended period of time is needed and just individual sessions weekly bi-weekly I have several students and student athletes that I see monthly and bi-weekly because I don't feel like that they need a, a, a long-term you know contract this is something that needs to be discussed some things need to be off their chest and those issues can be resolved in, in a shorter amount of time and less sessions so you know I have no problem you know pulling away from the long-term thing if I, th I feel like it's going to be a, a short-term thing. So yes, uh, I accept those clients. And again, you know, I just really want to emphasize that, you know, it's not me sitting across from somebody diagnosing. That's why the re it's a relatability in order to buy in and be comfortable. It's not a relatability meaning I have that uh, instantly have that skill set that in everything's instantly be solved. That that's a little bit of a, um, uh, a different perception from the previous video, I feel like. Okay, Michael asked, why do you think meeting with your clients outside of an, outside of an office setting is important? Okay, so um, I like to call this, you. we get to meet on um, their home turf. So if you think about a lot of the issues that student athletes are going through or students are going through, um, right, so you're getting bullied, you're getting bullied in a school, um, then you're going and sitting in an office talking about it. Um, you so why would you want to meet where you're already uncomfortable at a school in an, in that office setting? Um, why the next one would be so some say something like uh, home issues, right? Things are going on at home, whether it be divorce or um, you know a, a substance abuse issue. You know why would you want to meet in your home? Um, so for the student athletes, their home turf is where they feel most comfortable. A lot of them play sports for an outlet, so like. When you meet at their home field, they're most open and comfortable that they'll ever be. Um, same goes for like a hobby, like something that's a big hobby. There is a client that I have that is love surfing, loves snowboarding. We surf and snowboard and have our sessions because he's most comfortable on the surfboard, on the snowboard, and you know those sessions go very well. It's a complete openness. You're comfortable. Nobody's possibly listening. Um, nobody's around that you're worried about feeling embarrassed or not speaking. Um, I do meet clients in the office also. Um, 
some people prefer to meet in the office. Just from my experience, and if you literally Google like um, trouble with teens in, in therapy or trouble with teens in counseling, you know, how to get them to buy in, um, you'll go through, I'm not even kidding, probably 100 pages about why it doesn't work and the relationship doesn't fit. And the, and the reason for that is because, you know, they don't feel comfortable in an office setting with someone across from trying to diagnose them. Now, that, and don't get me wrong, there is a subset of, of clients and patients that, you know, do need that type of counseling and need that type of doctor for some very serious issues. That's very common, uh, something around 25% of population, I believe, and that doesn't just in just in teens. So if it's 25%, maybe you know 12 and a half, you know, do need that counseling. But they don't, they don't feel open. They don't feel buy-in, which kind of goes back to the last question. They're not comfortable. So you're not going to get really the issues at hand out if they're not really willing to speak because they don't feel comfortable. Um, so I just feel like it's super important. Um, you know, always as part of my contract, you know, there, I have a client that we go to pro games with, loves pro sports. He's comfortable there having a, a conversation in a stadium. That's all part of the contract. That comes out of my expenses. That's my overhead because I feel like those sessions work way better than being in the office. Um, and that's something I cover and, and do. And it's been, it's extremely, extremely, extremely effective. Um, same thing, there's some clients that like to meet after or before pregame, postgame, um, their matches, their games, etc. So if they're comfortable right before their match, and that's when they need to have a session to make sure that their their mind and mental framework is locked in, they're, they're going to be mentally tough. That's where they feel comfortable having a session. They're not going to come to my office and then drive and hope they make their game on time and session on time. So it's just it, it, I've noticed over time uh, it's worked out well. I think it's a huge, huge. Um, you know, step to get these get these clients to buy in and, and really just feel comfortable so you could really get down to what's going on um, and not just be wasting, again, wasting each other's time, wasting each other's money, sitting across from each other, and it's like, how are you? Good. What's going on? Nothing. Uh, that's just a waste of everyone's time, and we're not going to get down to what the real issues are being in that setting most of the time. Okay, Nicole asked, given your experience, what age should student athletes start thinking about college? Okay, so just speaking student athletes, um, I would say that one, one tip I give to a lot of my clients is that I always say forget your 20s, right? Um, it's going to take some time in order to build a passion and what you're passionate about. Um, you know, I love what I do right now. I also love sports broadcasting, and if I went back, I probably would do sports broadcasting, and uh, you know, I probably wouldn't be as successful as I am now, just because that's a long ladder to climb up. Um, you know, everyone always tells me to make a podcast just for that, just from my knowledge and stats, and you know, I have some humor to it, and you know, I have a lot of conversations uh, through text with cousins and friends, and you know, every daily for our sports teams, and, and you know, it's just a kind of like weird thing I have. But in order to combine the passion I have for this and the passion I have for that, I do sports broadcasting on the side for another company and it's just for fun really um, you know the, the pay is minimal but it gets it keeps me on the field and it's something I love to do so you know it's when I first started you know I think there's it there was like an elementary school thing my mom still has it in her office I believe and like I was want to be a NASCAR driver I don't even watch NASCAR now right um, and then as you go along I was thinking just just be a straight therapist and then I got it I really want to stay in sport and then I start getting involved with student athletes so you kind of go wrong and you progressively like find out what you really want to do as you move along forget your 20s if you're home every day at the age of 22 stressing about what you're gonna do where's life going 
it's too much. Um, it's just way, way too much. Um, and, and you just have so much time. And, and I know, like, you know, your parents will say it too, and people will say it too. You don't realize how much time you have until you get to my age at, you know, 31, 32, and things I would have looked back and done differently. I know it's something, and people, oh, all these kids are like, oh, it's so annoying. My mom says you have, you have so much time, or enjoy it while it lasts, whatever. Um, you don't realize that's later on, because a lot of that's true. But, but you know, like forget your 20s find your passion work hard save money you know get get travel get things you want to get done in that 20s um you know i wouldn't really be thinking about um you know college and and stuff like that um it through that 20s in terms of that uh, especially for like you know you like i said you have people that like want to be a police officer and then and then get to school and realize they'd rather do like forensic you know detective work so stuff like that um in terms of student athletes like thinking about college there'll be a certain age where you realize um i would say most of the population that ends up being really successful in sport you realize at some point in time you're clearly the best player on the field uh, if not one of the best, or you know, you and, and a few others really, really, really stand above. Um, at that point in time, that's when you should probably start thinking about college, just in terms of where you want to go location-wise. Is there an academic program that also fits uh, your interest in sport? Um, as a student athlete, if you're really not at that level, um, there's definitely colleges willing to accept you. But you know, at the Division two and the Division three level, uh, for the most part, I would really strive on going somewhere um, where you're going to focus on academics, and then sport is kind of going to be your second realm. Um, just because you know the chances, I haven't. I took a class a long time ago in grad school, and at the time, the numbers were like one in every, I want to say like 1.8 million, like make it to the draft or a pro sport. Um, and you're talking, this is like 2011. So, you know, I don't know if that number's gone up. I don't know if that number's gone down. I can't imagine it going down. I can only imagine going up just for the the more teams that are involved now. And, and um, you know, the leagues aren't really expanding all that much. So to me, it would, it would be going up. Um, so to think that you have to be like one in 1.8 million in, in the year 2011, and you're going to focus sport over academic um, I think it's just kind of doing yourself a disservice. Now, with that being said, college isn't for everybody. Um, I know a lot of very successful people that have their own landscaping company that's very successful, their own pesticide company, very successful. Um, my father, I don't even know if he had graduated high school, but he went from like a forklift driver at a pharmaceutical company, and then he's the head of quality management of an entire building um, that does like medical, uh, medical, um, like securing devices, making sure that cotton's in and make sure everything's secure, there's no ceiling, stuff like that. He's, he's like head of quality control, he runs the whole building there. So you don't have to go to college just to be successful. If you feel like you have a trade skill in something else um, that uh, fits your your being. I mean, rock or rock with it. There's 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 very successful mechanics that work at like Lester Gillen and Acura and, and all these other um, doing all these parts and, and services to cars and all this technology. You're making chips for cars and you know them better because you've been working on them all your life as a hobby. So you know you don't have to go to college to be successful. Um, and unfortunately, too, college is getting prolonged now. Uh, kind of like with me when I got my undergraduate degree, it wasn't enough, so I had to go on. When I got that degree, I had to go on again. Um, you know. So you also have to realize you got to kind of be in for the long haul. So when you enroll, you got to kind of really be passionate about it because 
um, colleges are only getting more expensive. So for the student athlete going back, I know that was kind of a, a runaround and a lot I spoke about a lot. For the student athlete, um, if you notice that you're one of the top on the field and, and you really feel like you can make it professionally, like you know, be honest with yourself. I'd start looking at you know where you feel like you would fit academically and also sports-wise. Uh, if you're really not in in, in that grouping, um, I really focus on academically and a program that you know is, is supposed to be good for what you would like to do, what you're passionate about, um, where you'll have fun location-wise, where you'll be comfortable. Focus on that aspect and then the sport time, the sport part second. Okay, Brett asked, at which stage do you think an athlete should come to you? When is the right point in time to consider peak? Um, so I would say kind of back to that, the initial question is, uh, I don't think age is is really a um, a factor or you know kind of stage of life or stage of sport. Um, you know, I I want to emphasize, and I, I keep kind of getting stuck on the student athlete part. Um, you know, I also work with students that aren't athletes. Um, I'd say half my company students, half my company is student athletes, or in terms of clientele. Uh, so I don't want um, I don't want anyone to think I don't work with both, uh, or you have to be an athlete to work with peak. Uh, I would say that. Which kind of again back to the first part of the question is you know if someone came to me at eight and was bought in and had a reason to come to me a real reason to come to me I would work with somebody that's eight uh, my youngest client is ten right now um, there's a serious reason that um, you know he works with me and and uh, he came to peak and that her, you know his mother really wanted him to work with me um, so you know I don't think there's a stage um, I don't think there is a age either. Um, if you feel like that you need any of our services that we offer, um, you know, we have clients that are just there for academic advising. They really need a pull in school. Um, there's clients that are elite athletes that are there for sports psychology work that, you know, it's life or death if they get cut from their team um, or they're super successful and they've taken a step down and there's, there's an underlying meaning why. Um, you know, you could be an elite athlete at the age of 11 or 12. I could name 100 off the top of my head. Um, you could also not be an elite eight athlete till 18. So I'm not going to deny the 12-year-old that's elite, but take on the 18-year-old. Um, same goes for I would deny an 18-year-old if I felt like they were not buying in, but then take on a 12-year-old. So I don't think there's a stage or age. Um, I'm willing to listen to anything, um, any issues, any problems, um, you know, have a conversation that's being presented to me from either the student athlete or the parent about why and, and the reasoning behind it. And, you know, if I feel like there's a fit and then that we have the free consultation and now all three of us feel like it's a fit or the two of us feel like it's a fit, um, you'll be part of PEAK. Okay, Adrian asked, do you search for clients from an investment perspective, meaning you only help out if you see them becoming a successful athlete and to better brand your company, or are you truly invested in bettering an individual? So I've never once um, searched seeked or advertised for a client in my entire career. Um, every client that I have um, was either placed to me when I was in graduate school that stayed with me all this time, um, saw my profile, or came from word of mouth from previous successes with clients. I've never advertised my company, um, which is something I'm working on now, as our you know our marketing uh, team could tell you, um, just so people just know we exist. But I've never I've never went after a client just because I saw they were successful. I've never advertised uh, for my company. Um, I have a stack of business cards that I rarely take out of the filing cabinet that I really should, but um, you know I've never really handed one out. 
Um, so I don't, uh, they, no client is an investment to me. Um, if they were an investment to me, I would only have these elite athletes or I would, you know, be running around to all these fields saying, do you have somebody? Do you have somebody? Do you want somebody? I just, that's not for me. All these clients have come to me, every single one of them. Um, so I am in it for better themselves, um, to giving back. You know, people, students and student athletes need something that I didn't have and something that a lot of them don't have. and. Um, something that coaches uh, have been seeking for a long time, especially in the state of New Jersey, because that's the response I get when coaches that I network with that just know me from being on the sideline from sports broadcasting or, you know, know of the company, um, the clients that I've worked with or, and what, um, you know, what I've done for them. Um, you know, that's, that's how I get my clientele. There's no investment um, whatsoever. Um, the elite athletes that I've had um, were, you know, a few, one or two were elite before I even got to them. So I really got them back to the elite level I need to go. Um, majority of the rest of my clients, whether students or student athletes, um, were, and I, there's no offense to where you work. I haven't, that's not about that. But, you know, I brought guys from Taco Bell that weren't living in a house and homeless. Um, those, NFL, those guys that are in the NFL now. So th those guys that are in the NFL worked hard themselves and you know worked hard with me to get to that level. Um, I didn't meet them and look at them at the age of 13 and said, oh, here's my two NFL players. Did they look like they were on another level after their freshman year when they got themselves in a football shape than everybody else? Yes, by far we went to two straight state titles and it was because we had four guys, two of which that are in the NFL, that were well above the level of other athletes. But I met them before they were even even had any sight or vision on that. Uh, you know, I I have them on video. You could read their testimonials. I mean, both of them had like a one five, one six, one seven, fifty five, sixty pounds overweight their freshman year. I mean, believe me, they didn't look like elite athletes, elite NFL players. It wasn't someone I was making the investment in. Um, the only thing that I've ever done one time, and I did it as free as a service, um, was there were two brothers, and they both should have been recruited and highly recruited, and they weren't getting recruited at all and didn't have anybody helping them and we had discussed if maybe I could assist them and I did that for free for them for the entire six months to get them to college. So that is the only time that I've actually ever really um, invested and it wasn't an investment because I wanted them to get exposure as part of my company or my company exposure because of them. It was because there's two athletes here that I seen that knew, knew, knew just from my eyes and, and me doing this all this time belonged at a division one, division two school or a junior school college to get their grades up and then go on to a division one school and nobody was helping them get there and they didn't know what they were doing. So that would be, if that's considered an investment, that was my only investment ever um, for my company. So. Okay, Kara asked, how would you handle an athlete who struggles to excel in school and also gets into trouble outside of school? What is your thought process to keep someone on the right track? So, unfortunately, I kind of have to really be broad with this. Um, there's several reasons um, that an athlete or just a student could be not successful in school. Uh, we would be here all night. Um, some students and student athletes have a diagnosis. There's a reason they underperform. Um, some are just underperforming because they don't do anything. Um, and others are performing because they're really seriously struggling in a subject that they just can't grasp and just need additional help. So um, it's kind of tough to speak on, you know, how I would handle a situation because all the situations could be different. Um, you know, you could be trying to hang with a cool crowd in school or something and they don't do any work so you're not doing work even though you're intelligent and have an IQ. Um, you know, I fell into the jocks while I'm too good to do things academically. So there's literally a set
75 reasons, so I can't really speak on what my methods would be. Um, I, the, you know, obviously the main thing would be finding out what the real reason is that they're not successful in school. Um, majority of students and, and student athletes will tell you. Uh, I just I could think off the top of my head somebody that's ringing a bell to me that kind of fits in in this. Into, right into this question that I work with that's a client of mine that you know openly admitted to me why they're, they're not doing well in school um, and usually it's not something as crazy as, as it may be or as you think it may be um, and in terms of kind of the outside behavior and my methods again you know unfortunately I have to be broad um, there could, there's a million ways you get in trouble outside of school. Um, each one would have to be handled differently. Um, is the person you know, doing drugs or do they have an alcohol problem? Um, are they beating up people around the town, you know, meeting at the park and getting in fistfights and arrested? Uh, you know, are you driving, getting a DUI, underage drinking? There's, just, there's a million things. Each one need, needs a different way to go about the method. Again, you know, I'll say the same thing just like I did for the academics. You have to find out what the underlying meaning is. Why are they excessively drinking? Why are they drinking and driving? Um, why are they lying about where they're going? What are they continuously getting in fights for? Are they getting bullied in school and then they meet at the park and then try to defend themselves so people around school know that they're, you know, they're the big bully or um, they're not too small to get bullied? Um, you know, there's just there's so many factors to both to both of the sides of that question. Um, but you know, my overall and main answer would be to you know, have to find the underlying meaning of the academics and have to find the underlying meaning of why they're getting in trouble outside the school.